All right, so we're in John chapter 18 tonight. This morning we looked at chapter 17 and the uh, high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ. And uh, we see that when Jesus prayed in the garden, this was a very, very humble scene. Jesus Christ, creator of the universe, on his knees praying uh, to God. He's in great agony. He's sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. He's basically alone. His disciples were lazy. They couldn't even watch with him for one hour and pray for him. While he is there, an angel literally has to come and minister to him because he's just in such great agony and turmoil over what he's about to do. But now, after this prayer is done, it is time for him to follow through on what he has to do as a high priest. He's made this prayer, but now he literally has to go and offer himself up as the sacrifice for the world. And it's not, and obviously, a great deal of pain is about to come when he gets to the cross. And we'll talk about the cross uh, probably on the Wednesday before Easter. But before he gets to the cross, he has to go through a great deal of humiliation. We see a lot of just uh, humiliation that Jesus Christ is going to go through. Here he's gone through this agonizing situation in the garden. And then a multitude basically comes to him like a dog, like he's this horrible guy. Look at what it says in verse 3 of John 18 says, Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. He's got the village mad at him. The mob is coming for Jesus Christ. And Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto him, I am he, and Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. As soon then as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Then asked he them again, whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way. And I think this is amazing what happens right here. So first off, you've got a band of men coming from Jesus. It kind of reminds me of cops in America today when there's one little old lady that's getting out of line and then it takes 14 cops to come deal with the situation. Uh, we see that all the time. And then, you know, when, when you're in a situation and police come, it's humiliating, right? How many of you just, it's your, like your proudest moment when you're just pulled over on the side of the road? It's humiliating, isn't it? First time I ever got a ticket, I was actually going, I was at a conference. It was the first time I heard Jack Hiles preach, actually. And uh, we were coming back on our way home, and a bunch of people from our church went there, and I got pulled over for speeding. And as I'm getting a ticket, I'm just thinking, hurry up and get done before all the people from our church, because we left before them, come by. And sure enough, man, they all came driving by, saw me. And they didn't keep driving. They pulled over to a gas station and watched. <laughs> Not lying. That was very embarrassing. Now, it was very embarrassing and humiliating, but imagine, you know, that was one cop giving me a ticket. Everybody knew, but imagine having a whole mob of people coming after you like you're just some dangerous, violent person, Jesus Christ, who's never done anything. You know, like, it, you know, it kind of reminds me too of in, when people do these big mobs and lots of police, the SWAT teams, all that, a lot of it too, it's theatrics to make it look like there's a greater danger than there is. I'm thinking of the inauguration where they have thousands and thousands of troops there to guard things. Like there was just going to be this massive domestic terrorist attack. It's all theater to make it look like there's villains 
where there's not villains. And that's what they're doing with Jesus here. This is made, this is theater. This is made to make him look bad. It's meant to humiliate him. And it's something that's going to create a scene. And so this was, this was a very humiliating thing. But I love how when these soldiers came and Jesus said, I am he, they all fall backwards. Now, I mentioned this this morning. We're going to see this. Jesus over and over again, he is making sure everyone knows I'm coming because I want to come. You're not taking me by force. It's one thing for somebody to get crucified who got captured and detained and they couldn't get away. That was not the case with Jesus Christ. Every bit of suffering he did, he allowed it to happen. And he proved it here with all these soldiers. And he says, I am he. They all go falling backwards. I don't, I don't love to have seen that right there. And then he looks at all and he's like, you know what? You're here for me. Let the others go. And I think he did that too because everything Jesus has, has been doing and is about to do, he's trying, he's fulfilling scripture. Every bit of the scripture matters. That's why we do not only emphasize what was done on the cross. We emphasize all the things that the scriptures emphasize because of the fact all these things had to be done that the scripture might be fulfilled. God's law that he had was perfect. It was holy. It was just, and it had to be fulfilled. God wasn't going to just you know scratch any of it out. Jesus had to fulfill it all. So all those things he did, his soul being made a sacrifice for sin, all these things had to happen. They had to be done. And it had to be done by him alone. And so it wouldn't have worked out. It wouldn't have been right if they had arrested Jesus and his disciples and killed all of them. No, he was going by himself. And so I think that's one of the reasons he did that, just so those guys, soldiers didn't get any bright ideas of taking the disciples too. And so he did. He just, he, I think he kind of did this letting them know who was the boss. And so they end up taking him like a dog coming after him with all these weapons. None of this is necessary. Okay? This is not necessary. But they're doing it to, to humiliate him, to make him look bad, because they have it in their minds, we want to kill this guy. We better act like he's dangerous. We better act like he's a threat. It's going to take a band of men to take him in. But, but imagine here, I, and I, want to, I hope tonight it's my goal to draw a picture in your mind of something that I, I never really noticed before about this. Because imagine, again... As humiliated as we are, just when we get pulled over, imagine how humiliating, even for me as a pastor, you know, if I was to just come and get arrested and get walked out of this building with my handcuffed and have to have everybody see that and have people in town and the neighbors noticing me, you know, me doing that and to get put in the police car and all that kind of stuff. That's humiliating. But Jesus, when he did it, he's got a whole band of soldiers taking him and walking him from Gethsemane to Jerusalem where he has to take this walk of shame, as I want to call it tonight, this walk of shame from Gethsemane to Jerusalem, only to be to go through a mock trial where they're not going to handle things lawfully, only to take him and to just crucify him with much, much humiliation. I want you to try to, I want you to, try to picture this in your mind tonight because I'm going to show you another picture of something that's going to happen in the same place where Jesus took this walk of shame, in the very same spot, there's something else that we see in the Bible that happens in this same spot. And so uh, let's look at some of these scriptures of the arrest and the trial, because this is something we see a little bit of this in all the Gospels. We're going to look at a lot of scriptures, but look at Matthew chapter 26. Turn over to Matthew chapter 26, and in verse 47, it says, And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, 
one of the twelve came, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from, from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, the same as he, hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. Jesus saith unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. So first off, notice the cowardly betrayal that Judas did to Jesus. He betrayed him with a kiss. You say, why is, why is that so bad? Because, you know, somebody who allows you to get in their personal space like that is somebody who's close to you. You know who it is? It's a friend, which is exactly what Jesus called him. And here he comes and he kisses. And remember what Jesus said, Judas, betrayest thou me with a kiss? I've allowed you to be close to me. I've been a friend to you. I've been good to you. And the way you're going to identify me to the authorities is through something like that. That's pretty dirty right there. That was pretty low. And let me tell you something. Judas was about as low as you can get. Judas was a bona fide reprobate. He was a son of Belial, a son of perdition, the Bible calls him. And Judas, even though he spent three years with Jesus Christ, doing a lot of you know many wonderful works, like the false prophets are going to say, he is in hell. He is burning in hell. And so verse 51, And behold, one of them which were with Jesus, stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. We know this was Peter. Then said Jesus unto him, Put up again thy sword into his place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? Again, showing Peter, Hey, these people aren't taking me by force. This is something I am choosing to do. This is something that I am allowing to happen. I can call 12 legions of angels, and this is this thing's over. This fight's over. I just have to say the word, and it is done. And so notice, too, though, how Jesus even healed that servant's ear that got cut off. Now, I personally think the reason that Jesus did this, too, was, one, because he was being kind. It wasn't time to do this. But... Jesus didn't even want the, any of these, this mob that came for him to be able to go back and look like there had been a fight. Jesus wanted it crystal clear to everyone that he was fulfilling Scripture. He was doing the role of the high priest. Nobody forced him. In fact, the one guy that kind of got hurt coming for him, Jesus fixed it. Jesus healed it. He wants, he, he's making things very clear what's going on right here. And so, verse 54 says, but how then shall the scripture be fulfilled that thus it must be? Jesus is trying to fulfill scripture because Jesus knew the Old Testament. All those things mattered. Everything that was in that Old Testament, it mattered. Jesus is fulfilling scripture intentionally. The word of God must be followed. You and I were not able to follow the word of God. So a lot of things had to be done in order to make up for that. And Jesus did all those things. And so Jesus is telling the disciples, don't fight this thing. This has to happen so the scripture can be fulfilled. Even when Jesus cried, I thirst. Because this is an interesting thing too. Um, I was gonna, I, I, I was planning on preaching this the Wednesday before Easter. I saw today Pastor Fritz preached the seven statements Jesus made from the cross. He stole my message I was going to preach. I'm probably preaching anyway. But when you look at Jesus' words that he said on the cross, all of them were about other people. 
Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You know, what he said to the thief, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. All these, he's thinking about everybody else. The one thing he said about himself, you know, he cried out to God, wondering why God had forsaken him, but I thirst. You know, he, we don't see him asking them to stop the beating, to stop the spitting. We don't see him asking to do any of those things. But you know what we do see him do is say, I thirst. Now, why is he doing that? Is he thinking about how thirsty he is and he just wants his thirst quenched? But look what it says in John 19, verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there were set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Why did he, why was he doing that? Why did he bring that up? You know why? Because it was prophesied, I believe it was in Psalms, that they gave me gall for my meat and vinegar and my thirst for drink. And you know what? He's been on the cross all that time. He's, he's about to die and nobody's given him the vinegar yet. So you know what he did? He said, I thirst, so he could take that and fulfill the scriptures. Jesus wasn't thinking about how thirsty he was right here, even though I'm sure he was very thirsty. You know what Jesus was thinking about? Fulfilling the scripture, doing the work that God gave him to do. And so after he did that, he was able to look and say, this is what it is finished with means, folks. He did everything the scripture said to do. He's done it. I finished it. I fulfilled the scriptures. That's what he's saying. I have done everything I need to do legally to make a way of salvation for people. And then he gives up the ghost. It, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Leaving it in God's hands now, knowing that he's going to die and he is going to go to hell. And it's not going to be pleasant there either. But Jesus wasn't thinking about himself. He's thinking about everybody else during that time, knowing that God would not leave his soul in hell. That's what the Bible tells us. He knew that God would not leave his soul in hell. He prophesied that back in the book of Psalms. Thou shalt not leave my soul in hell, nor suffer thine holy one to see corruption. And sure enough, Acts 2 tells us that is exactly what God did. God loosed him from the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. And that is what happened. And thank God for it because the scriptures had to be fulfilled. This wasn't just a matter of, you know, just the particular sacrifice of the cross. The reason the cross was important and the shedding of blood was important, it's because that's what the law called for. That's what the Old Testament prophesied. Therefore, since the Old Testament prophesied that it be this way, there it was very important. So do you all understand that? That, that this was intentional. This was what had to be done because it was what would fulfill those Old Testament prophecies, and that's what Jesus had to do. He had to do all of them. Every one of these things had to come to pass. Every one of God's prophecies has to come to pass. If they don't offer him vinegar, then what happened? The word of God wasn't fulfilled. We've got a problem. Everything's important. That's why we should never, you know, we should never just downplay something, anything from the life of Jesus, from the gospel, from the cross, just so we can look like we're more spiritual than everybody else because we emphasize the cross. That's foolish. Okay? Every detail mattered to Jesus, even the taking of the vinegar that mattered. And so we don't want to, uh, we're not going to de-emphasize things uh, just to, 
please a crowd. I think that's super, super weird. So verse 55 of Matthew 26. In that same hour, said Jesus to the multitudes, Are ye come out as against the thief with swords and staves for to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and ye laid no hold on me. You know what? They made this arrest at night, and they did it privately too. Because I think because they knew they were what they were doing was wrong. There was no reason to arrest Jesus. But they you know, they could have done it when he was in the temple. But if they do it in the temple, when Jesus is healing people, when he's blessing people, the you know, the rest of the crowd might say, wait a minute, why are you arresting this guy? So what do they do? They go out and they do it at night just to hide the fact that they what they were doing was wrong and unjust. So verse 56 says, but all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples took him, uh, disciples forsook him and fled. Jesus being taken and arrested like this, this was fulfillment of the scriptures. And they that laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him afar off under the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. At the last came two false witnesses and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? This here was a mock trial. This trial was not done lawfully. If Jesus would have been put to death according to the law, then his death would have been payment for his own sin. But his death, him being put to death, was actually done against the law because the law requires two or three witnesses, and they have to agree. And we're going to see here, we see in Mark chapter 14, even with these witnesses that brought up his statement that he did make about the temple, their witnesses didn't agree together. Look what it says in Mark 14, 57. And there arose certain and bare false witness against him, saying, We have heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. But neither so did their witnesses agree together. See, folks, this is important too. It's important that we understand that Jesus' death that he took, it was against the law. If it had been according to God's law, we'd have had a problem. It would have mean he did something wrong. It would mean some guilt would have been found in him. And therefore, he couldn't die for us. But his death was done contrary to the law because they couldn't get any witnesses against him. You know why? Because you can't witness anything against Jesus. And what's interesting about this, Jesus did say this. Now, I understand they were trying to make it like it was something it wasn't, but let's just say, and I, I believe these, the statement these people were making was true. I think the reason their witnesses didn't agree together is probably because why they're inquiring of them. They probably figured out these guys really weren't there. Somebody just told them to say it. The priests went and found two goons, two low lives, paid them some money and said, say, hey, go tell them you heard Jesus say these things. And then, but then the problem is when they start inquiring and asking questions, it didn't agree. It didn't, it didn't work. And so Jesus should not have been put to death, but they did it anyway. And so verse 53, but Jesus held his peace and the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the son of God. 
And Jesus said to him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold now, ye have heard his blasphemy. But folks, this wasn't blasphemy. This was just fact. This is just fact that Jesus is stating. What think ye? They answered and said, He is guilty of death. That was a lie. This was not done according to their law. This was their will. He didn't say what says the law. If they'd have said what says the law, they'd have said you have to have two or three witnesses to put a man to death. We don't have two witnesses. And they even said, what further way need to have we witnesses? No, you're hearing all this. They're accusing him of blasphemy when he didn't speak any blasphemy. And they just said, what thinking? You know what? We don't get to just go off what we think. You know what? You don't get to just trash people and condemn people over what you think in your mind. You got to have some evidence. You got to actually witness something. You got to actually have some facts. You don't just get to say, well, I think this person is a terrible person. Well, you know what? Keep your thoughts to yourself. Otherwise, you're just a railer and a slanderer. Keep these things to yourself. So this was their will. And it says in verse 67, then they did they spit in his face and buffeted him and others smote him with the palms of their hands saying, prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who is he that smote thee? Now Peter sat without in the palace and the damsel came unto him saying, thou also was with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied them before all saying, I know not what thou sayest. And you all know the story of Peter's denial three times. Three times he gets confronted while Jesus is getting beat up. And I, I, I get it. Jesus had to go to the cross. But you understand, Peter too, he was a witness of the fact that people are lying about him. But what's he doing? Trying to save his own skin, hiding out. And so after he does it three times, he, you know, it, it gets to him. He goes and he weeps bitterly. He was sorry for what he'd done. But nobody stood with Jesus. Jesus, as high priest, offering himself up, he's doing this completely alone. This is him. All by himself. So the arrest and trial of Christ, this is a sad, it's a, it's a horrible story. Yet at the same time, it's hard for us to read the story and not be thrilled. Because of the fact that we understand he's doing this for us. You know, we deserve to die. We deserve to go to hell and stay in hell. That's what, that's what we deserve. And so without these things, without all this stuff that Jesus did... We, it means hell for us. So, but at this, uh, but understand, this is a sad scene. This is this is what our sin did to him. You know, we should, when we read a passage like this, there should be a feeling of guilt that we have, while at the same time, a feeling of thankfulness that Jesus still loved us and was willing to do this for us. This ought to show us how serious our sin is. But something I want to focus on about this trial is that we see Jesus, he said very little in his own defense. Accusations were being made, yet he wouldn't respond. Yet there does seem, though, to be one thing Jesus wanted to make sure everyone understood. And that was when he was being arrested, that he was going according to his own will. No one was forcing him. Now, turn over to Matthew chapter 26, where we see this in all the Gospels. And the fact that this keeps getting emphasized and being shown, I think we need to pay attention to this. But Matthew 26, 52, Then said Jesus unto them, Put up again thy sword into his place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. 
We read that before. Thinkest now that I cannot pray to my Father, and he will presently give me more than 12 legions of angels. But how then shall the scripture be fulfilled that thus it must be in that same hour? Said Jesus to the multitudes, Are ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves for to take me? I sat daily with you, teaching in the temple, and ye laid no hold on me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. So he's looking at the multitude. He's like, why are you coming at me like this? He's letting him know, you don't need to do this. Because he's about to willingly go with them, not putting up a fight at all. Peter got out of line for a second, but Jesus fixed what Peter did wrong. Jesus immediately, literally fixed it, healed the man's ear. Another miracle. Mark 14, 48 says, And Jesus answered and said to them, Are you come out as against a thief with swords and staves to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you took me not. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Mark 14, 62. And Jesus said, I am, and you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of glory. While he was on trial, he said, we see him saying this, letting him know, wait do you see how I come back. Wait, wait do you see me next time. Luke 22, 50. And one of them smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. Jesus answered and said, Suffer ye thus far. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and captains of the temple and the elders that were coming to him, Be ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves. When I was daily with you in the temple, ye stretched forth no hands against me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Verse 67. Art thou the Christ? Tell us. And he said unto them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I also ask you, you will not answer me nor let me go. Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. Tell him, you're, you're going to find out. And then, then said they all, Art thou the Son of God? And he said to them, Ye say that I am. John 18, verse 4. Jesus therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? And we read this before, and this is where they came. He said, I am he. They all go falling down. So notice in every one of the Gospels, it pays attention to the fact that Jesus went willingly that they didn't force him. All four Gospels, it talks about that because this was, this was very important. In John 18, 36, it says, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest I, I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of truth heareth my voice. So Jesus said, This is why I'm here. You know, here he is being put on trial to be put to death. And you know what he said? This is what I was born for. This is why I came to earth. That And that was totally true. Everything Jesus is about to do, this is why he came to earth. He is fulfilling scripture for us. He is making a way of salvation for us. And so now having looked at all these accounts, having looked at the arrest of Christ, when we see what a horrible, shameful thing that was done, when we see the humiliation, the humiliation and how they arrested him. We didn't even look at all the examples of how they humiliated in their treatment, how they mocked him, how they put the purple robe on him, how they gave him a crown of thorns, how they took a reed and they smote him over the head, 
how they called him king of the Jews, but in a mocking way. How they blindfolded him, they're buffeting him, saying, prophesy on us, who is he that smote thee, as they're spitting on him. I mean, one humiliating thing after another. We see all these things. And so imagine, um, just imagine how you would feel just being arrested in front of your own friends and family and neighbors, how that would make you feel. Jesus is seeing this in front of everybody, and he is taking this walk of shame from Gethsemane to Jerusalem. And so what's interesting about this is Gethsemane, and I wish I had a way to kind of illustrate this and put it up on a screen or something for you, but if you if you look at Gethsemane, where it was and the location of it, it's actually it's um, east of Jerusalem. If you are in Jerusalem and you were to go across the valley, on the side of a hill there is where Gethsemane is. If you were to walk up the hill away from Jerusalem, you would be up on the Mount of Olives. So Jesus is there in Gethsemane. So for them to take Jesus to Jerusalem to be judged by the Romans, they got to take him and he is going to walk from Gethsemane down the side of that mountain, down a valley, which is known as the Valley of Jehoshaphat. And then he's going to walk up the hill where Jerusalem is and the Temple Mount and all that to be put on trial. Jesus is taking this march with a band of soldiers, with a mob of people. I don't know how many there were, but many, many people. He's taking this walk bound. He's taking this walk to be humiliated. He's taking this walk to be beaten, to be put on a cross, and to die in horrible agony and shame. That's how Jesus took that walk. That was a walk he took 2,000 years ago through the valley of Jehoshaphat. And so here's the thing. You know, even though Jesus died for the sins of all men, all men will not be saved because there are people who reject the free gift of salvation. Now, those who reject that gift of salvation, here's what they need to understand. One of these days, Jesus Christ, he's taking that same walk again. Jesus is going to walk that path again, but it's going to look a little different this time. Look what it says in Joel chapter 3 and verse 12. And this is something I, I like to think about when reading about this arrest of Jesus Christ. Because I, you know, it is, it's a disturbing thought to, to see our Savior to be treated this way, to be humiliated this way. But you know what? I start feeling a little better when I start looking at what the Bible says about his next walk. And Joel 3, 12 says, Let the heathen be wakened and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full. The fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes, and the valley of decision for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun, shall, the sun and the moon shall be darkened and the stars shall withdraw their shining. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion. That's where that temple mount is, where they walked him to. And utter his voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth shall shake. But the Lord shall be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. So shall ye know that I am the Lord your God dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain, then shall Jerusalem be holy, and there shall no strangers pass through there. 
anymore. Now, folks, there's no doubt this is what the event talked about in Revelation chapter 14. Turn over to Revelation chapter 14. This is going to happen in the Valley of Jehoshaphat, multitudes, multitudes, in the Valley of Decision. He's, the Lord's going to roar out of Zion. And it says in Revelation 14, 14, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came from the te- out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle, and reap, for the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, sickle on the earth and the earth was reaped. I believe this is a prophetic passage about the rapture. There is going to be a gathering that takes place at the return of Christ where he is going to gather us up. But you know what? There's going to be another gathering that takes place at the return of Christ. And it says in verse 18, and another angel came down out of the altar, which had power over fire and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city and blood came out of the winepress even unto the horse bridles by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. And so... Right there, that's where we see the blood flowing. Now, a lot of people think this is going to be in the Megiddo Valley, which is false. This is in the Valley of Jehoshaphat. This is what we see referred to in Joel chapter 3. And so there's going to be the gathering of us that takes place, the return of Christ. But then when we see all those vials and all those uh, God's wrath being poured out, when you read about that in Revelation in detail, you can see that it is God gathering preparing the world, gathering the armies together to bring them to this valley of Jehoshaphat where they are going to be judged and where he is going to pour, I mean, really pour his wrath out. The blood is going to flow that day. And I believe that's what we're seeing in Revelation chapter 19 in verse 11. And I saw heaven open and behold, a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he doth judge and make war, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God, and the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron." And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun and cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the throne and against his armies. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone and the remnant 
were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. Understand what we are seeing here. This is happening in the same place where Jesus took that walk of shame. That same valley that Jesus had to walk through with a bunch of soldiers and with an angry mob with their torches and pitchforks and things, trying to humiliate him, take to take him to arrest him and to beat him and crucify him. One of these days, Jesus is going back through there again. This time, the army's following him. This time, he's he's walking not bound, not wearing you know he or he's going to be wearing many crowns at this time, wearing uh wearing that white robe, and he's going to have a sharp two-edged sword. He's going to be riding a white horse through that valley, and when he does this time. He's not going to shed his own blood. He's going to shed the blood of everybody else. And the blood is going to flow that day. And folks, when you see this, right? See, to many outside of that are outside of Christianity, or even those who are within the more liberal Christianity, this contemporary effeminate stuff we're always talking about, even people who are within that type of Christianity, you know, they often wonder why we celebrate the things we do. We see a lot of the Bibles are taking verses about the blood out. We're seeing less people, a lot of these contemporary songs, they don't like talking about the blood in their songs. That doesn't make people feel good. That sounds gross, sounds like there's something wrong with it. But they don't understand singing about the songs we do about the cross, about the blood. They don't understand following a Savior who was poor on this earth and ultimately killed. A lot of the world, they look at what happened to Jesus and they think, well, who wants to follow that guy? And even a lot of the more modern Christians, they see the the humble Jesus. They can see the Jesus that's suffering and dying on the cross. They all see they all see that, and it's like they kind of have this humble, defeated attitude of just give in to the world and just let the world have their way and do their own thing. But folks, that's not what I see. I see a Christ who came and did that once. But I also see because he did all those things, not only is he now victorious, but we are victorious. I don't just see the Christ that came through and walked through through that valley in humiliation. I see the Christ that's going to come through and ride through there with a white horse, shedding some blood. The victorious Christ. They try to act like he's all nice and is not for any death penalty or anything now. But go read Revelation 19 and tell me if that's what you think. That's the same Jesus. The same Jesus which is taken from you will so come and like man have seen him go. The Jesus that went up to heaven is the same Jesus that's going to come and kill a lot of people. Same Jesus. And so the thing is, we have this modern Christianity today that's just showing this effeminate, beat-down Jesus Christ. And understand... There was a time he was beat down. He was never effeminate. He was, you know, he never was that. But understand, they're only showing that. You know what they're not focusing on is the fact that he resurrected. All that he did there, this isn't something that just happened to him. Jesus wasn't just like a martyr, you know, like the martyr, you know, or like even people today, like a JFK or a Martin Luther King who, Jr. who died unwillingly. This is someone who laid his life down on purpose. Nobody took it from him. He laid it down, and he was doing that as our high priest. Jesus Christ, 
that went and did all that. This is the same God that was in the Old Testament that was killing people too. It was the same, it's the same one. We don't see him doing that on earth when he, during that time because he was here to make a way of salvation for us. He was here to fulfill that role as a high priest. But understand, he resurrected from the dead. And that part is done. He's done being humble. He's done letting people beat him down and spit on him. And Jesus Christ is going to come back and he is going to take these people out. And so the reason we can read these passages of his death and of his arrest and his trial and we can have such a victorious attitude is because we look at his first coming and light of his second coming. We see these bad chapters right here, but we also know what's in the good chapters later. So we get it. This isn't a bad thing. This was for us. When Jesus rose from the dead, he proved everything that he needed to prove. There is no more reason to be in doubt about who he is or what he says. We can read about the arrest and the trial of Christ with a victorious attitude because we know he's going to take that walk again. You know, I'm not, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed when I see these passages about Jesus being arrested and, and I see him being beaten. And my, I'm not ashamed when I see that. You know what I am? I'm thankful because I understand he was doing that for me. You know, we've all seen it where maybe somebody that we love and that's maybe a hero of ours looks bad. You know, if you love Biden, he looked pretty bad this week when he fell down those steps, didn't he? You know, if, if you if you love that guy, that was a bad moment for you. You know, seeing your hero, you know, look like a decrepit old man, you know, that's not really prepared to be president. But under, you know, so and, and that's OK. You know, if when when we see that with, you know, people that maybe we respect or that that we follow, but understand that's not what I see when I see Jesus. I don't see somebody I love just being humbled. I see somebody who loved me humbling himself for me. And I have great gratitude when I see that. It brings me joy. It brings me peace and confidence in knowing that I'm okay. I'm saved. My high priest did everything for me uh, you know, on, on my behalf. I'm good. I'm on my way to heaven. But I also see how he's going to come back to. I know what he could have done. I know at any moment he could have stopped it. At any moment he could have taken all them out. I see how he laid them all out with a word. I, I see that. And I see how he's coming back. I know what it's going to look like the next time he comes back. That's the Jesus Christ that I serve. That's the Jesus Christ that I follow. And so, you know, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. You say, well, you know what? Christians aren't real popular right now. You guys don't look too good right now. You know, you guys aren't going to look too good one of these days when they're trying to force you to take the mark and they're cutting your heads off. We won't look good like them, but we're going to look real good when we resurrect from the dead after they kill us. We're going to look real good riding on the white horse with Jesus Christ. And so, you know what? I'm willing to suffer a little bit of humiliation on this earth. I am willing to take that walk of shame if I ever have to, to a police car and to the jail. And in the courthouse, if that's what I have to do, I'm willing to take that. I'm willing to take that walk of shame because understand that's not going to be the end of this thing for me. Just like it wasn't the end of things for my Savior, Jesus Christ, that will not be the end of things for me. We're going to win this thing. We are going to end victorious, inheriting the earth with our leader, Jesus Christ, on the throne after he has judged the kings, after the fowls have eaten the flesh, 
after the Antichrist and the false prophet are cast into a lake of fire and brimstone. That, and let me tell you, one of these days, if we live to that day when, and we see those things coming, just remember when they're cutting their head off, you are going to be what You will watch the man who gave those orders, that Antichrist. You will watch him thrown into a lake of fire. We will see that. We will be there on that day with our head on our shoulders, folks. We will be alive and well when the Antichrist goes down, and I can't wait to see it. I'm looking forward to that day. And so thank God for what Jesus Christ has done for us. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word. I pray, dear God, this message was just an encouragement. Lord, we live in a world today that just is... Uh, is, does not care for you and for your followers. Lord, even professing Christians, Lord, they are uh, perverting what you are and what your word says. And those who stand for the truth are even mocked and ridiculed by supposed Christians. God, I pray you'll help us to have this victorious attitude, help us to learn uh, from your humiliation that you went through, that we can we can handle some humiliation, that we can allow that to happen in our life, knowing one of these days it's all going to change. One of these days, that trip you take to the Valley of Jehoshaphat is going to look a lot different than it did last time. And Lord, we know one of these days, the humiliation we go through on this earth is going to look a whole lot different when we're riding with you on that day. And so I pray you'll help us to hide these things in our heart and to comfort ourselves with them, to know, uh, to just know that you've already won the battle for us. In your name we pray. Amen.